If you want to really master something and learn the best way of helping people and develop your own signature process for doing it, which is eventually what you would then package and turn into a course, you Mm -hmm. have to get lots of experience to refine that process. Hey there, you're listening to the Jerisha Said Podcast, episode nine. Having the courage to start your own business and actually sell your consulting services online can be tough. Look, it may not be easy, but it can be simple. In each season, we take a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain a solid understanding of what's required to serve, sell, and scale your consulting business. All you have to do is listen to what Jerisha said. If you are ready for a transparent, all the way real, edge snatching strategies, grab your castor oil and keep listening. I am your host, corporate engineer turned online business consultant, Jerisha Hawk. Hawk Hustlers, you are in for a treat. We always do our best to bring you the top experts in the field, and today is no exception. We all know that overcoming those profit plateaus at the rising stages of our business is a tough battle to conquer. That's why we brought Courtney Johnston, a true rule breaker, onto the show to share how she has been able to do it. Courtney Johnston is the founder of the Rule Breakers Club, where she teaches women how to package and sell their brilliance. She's pretty much the only person who can make writing sales pages fun. Hint, it involves rainbows and pots of gold. Her work has been featured on Inc.com, Fast Company, Creative Live, and the Huffington Post, to name a few. She's from Michigan, started her business in Paris, and currently lives in Vancouver with her fiancé, Muhammad. On this episode, you're going to learn how Courtney has overcome those profit plateaus through her business journey and how you can too. So all right, Hall Custlers, let's dive right on in. Super excited to have you on, Courtney. I know you're a fellow Michigander and you've been all over the world. So it's super awesome to have you here on the show. So thanks for taking the time to be here. Oh, I'm super excited. I love talking about this entrepreneurship journey stuff because I don't know. It's like I love looking into other people's houses and cabinets to know like how they organize stuff. So I feel like looking into other people's businesses. is (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you always have some unexpected surprises that or learning curves that you go through that are always fun to see. I know you've hopped around a lot since starting your business back in, was it 2010, 2011? Yeah. I didn't really have like definitive time when I started my business because I kind of like, I kind of, I call myself an entrepreneur on accident. I kind of like, I was blogging and then I was like, I kind of like this. And then I was like, I want to start a business, but what kind of business? And then like you said, I really had my hand in a lot of different cookie jars. So I would say it was probably like 2011, 2012, like somewhere in there is when I was like, okay, now I'm actually going to run a business. <laughs> yeah. And I know that you have, at least for me, I thought it was super interesting that you started off doing like writing, consulting and resume writing for other job yeah. seekers. But what gave you that initial start from what I want to break the rules when it comes to this traditional mold yeah. of how we're supposed to earn money? Like, was there a defining moment or an experience in your job that was like, yeah, screw this. I want to try something else. Yeah. So I never had like a real like quintessential job, which is really weird. I think it's really weird. I still think it's really weird. I studied French. So I have a French degree and essentially like Not only did I have a French degree, but I graduated college in the middle of the recession. So it was like 
literally, what are you going to do? Like I couldn't get a job at Target. Like I was freaking out. So I actually was planning on moving to France for a year because I wanted to frankly learn to speak French because after, you know, 40K of student loans and a French degree, I could like read old literature and write papers, but I couldn't like carry a casual conversation. (laughs) So I was like, that's embarrassing. So I decided to do this program. Long story short, it was moving to France for a year. And it was while I was there, I was 22 years old. And I was just like, I can never have a normal, like, this is what I want. I want to be able to like move to a place like this and live in a place like this. And so I can't like go get a regular normal job. I just, I won't survive. And I kind of started doing tutoring and I guess like side hustling, you would call it, but I didn't know that that's what it was called. And I didn't have a work visa for, um, I actually ended up saying for two years and the second year I didn't have a work visa. So I had to like work under the table and like nanny and I was hustling like mad. And then I stumbled across the online business world and I realized Mm. that there were people and it was very much in its, I don't know, maybe not infancy, but it was still kind of like the wild west back in 2011. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I could work with people over the world and I could live anywhere. And I kind of, I was sold on the dream, which I know people get down on a lot, but I would have never taken action if I didn't have this like really crazy wild dream. So that's really where I decided that was like my moment Mm -hmm. of I can't go get a real job. So I have to find a way to make money. And thus the whole accidental entrepreneur thing. I love that because I can relate to it to an extent. Like I loved corporate when I was there and like loved the work that we did, but there was still this deep desire of like this freedom that I wanted to experience that you really just, I couldn't get inside the walls of corporate. No, so. you can't. Yeah. And you were already living like, I feel like the dream lifestyle. Like I like Paris. Sk- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can't own a Ferrari and then like own a Honda Civic. Like, <laughs> backwards. So I feel like it's almost dangerous. Like, but I also at a young age realized I have to do something because I cannot go into that I had a, a quote unquote real job for like a nine month stint when I was living back in Michigan and it like sucked my soul out of me and I had to quit. I was just like, I can't do this. I physically am incapable of this type of work. So yeah. So can you walk us through what that journey was for you? Like what did you first start selling and then how has that been able to evolve over the years to like where you are now? Yeah, it's definitely been an evolution. I laugh when people talk about like, Oh my God, I'm making a change in my business. Like I have to change everything. It's the end of the world. I'm like, welcome. To <laughs> welcome. <laughs> that is business is <laughs> like constantly changing trajectories and stuff. So I started off, like I was like, I took stock of my skills and I was like, I know French and I'm good at writing. And I was trained as a writing consultant in college. I had a job at the writing center. So I had some training in resumes. And so I was like, "Mm, everybody needs jobs right now because it's the recession. So I just started like writing resumes for people and they started getting jobs. And I was like, this is cool. And at the same time, I was tutoring French to high school students back in Michigan while I was living in France on Skype. And I was also tutoring ESL to French people in Paris while I was living there. So I was to that and I was nannying. So I was just like, what can I do? Like, what is at my disposal right now? And I was willing to get really like gritty there. Like I was willing to do like nannying and tutoring and all this random stuff, which I feel like was good about being young because I 
didn't think I was like too good to do that kind of work. Yeah. And then I realized as that evolved, I was like, hmm, I really like that I can make money on my own, but working with people to write resumes is really annoying and I don't want a real job. And then I'm like helping other people get a real job. And it just, I didn't have my own resume. And I was like, this just doesn't feel in alignment anymore. So then I stumbled upon, and I ended up taking Marie Forleo's B school in 2012. And then I stumbled upon this whole world of like, online entrepreneurs. I didn't realize how massive this world was. It's like a hidden economy. I yeah. That's what I tell people. Like it's an underground world. And it's like Wi-Fi. Now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's like a weird thing. Because if you talk to like random people on the street, like, and you're like, oh, I work, a, I'm an online business. They're like, literally. They do so not do you sell on Amazon or <laughs> like, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> yeah. I realized there was this whole need for website copy. And I was like, copywriting. Like I love writing. I love psychology. I love, and I just fell in love with copywriting. So instead of doing resumes, I did website copy, which I always say is the same thing. Like a resume is like selling yourself for a job and website copy is selling your business. And so I really fell in love with that. Again, clients were really happy getting good results and eventually realized that it was even better to niche down farther. So I realized a lot of my clients were asking me specifically for sales copy, like work with me pages or sales pages for courses. And at first I was really terrified by that because I thought, well, what if they don't sell anything, then they're going to blame me. (laughs) (laughs) But I decided to try anyway and it blew up. And that's how my business really, I would say like how I really dominated a niche and got known for that was because I was willing to get specific about solving like really specific problem for people. And when did you realize that you had to make that transition from being more of a broad copywriter where if you post it in a Facebook group, a million copywriters show up yeah. I do Essentially, that kept happening, right? Oh, like okay. I was getting recommended all the time, but I had like five different service packages on my website because I was trying to please everybody. My pricing was all over the place. I had to write custom proposals for everybody anyway, because they all wanted their own unique package. And I was taking way too much time, just like context switching from one client to the next Mm. and trying to remember like, what does this client have? What does that client have? And at the end of the day, I was making like minimum wage. And I was like, this isn't going to work. And I could not break through the $2,000 a month ceiling. Like I was like, this Mm. is clearly not enough money for me as like a salary. I can't seem to get past it with the way I'm doing things. So I finally kind of hit my own level of rock bottom with that. And was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to listen to this advice. I keep getting the niche down. I'm just going to do an experiment and Mm. just see what happens. And it was amazing. Like, and now I literally teach a course called the A for clients where I teach people to do that. Cause I'm just like, that's what you have to do. You have (laughs) to pick a thing, but everyone wants to be in like an industry. They're like, I'm a web designer. I'm a photographer. I'm a life coach. Mm. Life coaches are the worst. And I love you life coaches. I love you to death. I work with so many. And I know you know this, like, yeah. what is a life coach? Life is literally the least niche thing in the world. Like I want to empower women. Empowerment. That's a huge, yeah. to, what is the specific problem you're going to solve? Who are the specific people you're going to help? And I learned it the hard way. And I think most people do, but I'm just trying to help people like shorten the time. I know you do really similar work. So yeah, totally. We call it the pop method where you pick one person, pick one problem and package one process. I I love that. Yeah. But I think like when able to go from $2,000 a month and I experienced the same thing in my business. I was trying to do everything under the world. I was considering myself an empowerment coach in the beginning and could not make more than $2,000 in a month. But when you were niching like an extreme 
drastic change in your income and just even in how you were showing up in your business after you decided mm-hmm. to make that niche? Like, can you paint the picture a little bit of like what it's been like for you now and how you've been able yeah. to leverage that? Yeah, absolutely. Scaling so- in terms of after I picked that um, sales pages, so I launched a service called Sales Page CPR. So not only was mm. I doing sales pages, I refused to do custom sales pages. So I even mm. went farther. Really, yeah. I often don't talk about this element of it. Is I was like, there's lots of copywriters who will write sales pages, but what I realized is what my market wanted. It wasn't I decided I'm going to do this. People were asking for is I already have a sales page written. I tried to write one myself, and I really want you to look at it. Mm. So I realized there was this like really specific way they were asking for help. And so I was like, brilliant. I'm going to do CPR. So (laughs) I will help them with the sales page, but I'm not going to write it from scratch. Mm. And that allowed me to kind of differentiate myself in a farther way. Right. And what I noticed was that I was able to take on more clients, but work less because I could systematize the process because it was the same for every single client, I, which is the huge, this is the thing I like, I'm on my mountaintop screaming about because <laughs> I was able to take a hundred percent payments up front before I did any work. I was Woo-hoo! so sick of the 50%. Like, no, I was able to easily screen clients. I was able to easily market to my audience. And so I was able to book out really quickly. Now my income didn't go up immediately because I started off charging. I wanted to charge a price that was low enough that I could get a ton of volume because I just wanted the momentum. And then as I doubled and doubled and doubled my prices over the next couple of years, I was able to get to a six figure business and not only doing the services, but I was able to create a product that Mm. taught people how to do it themselves. So I had the product and the service version, which allowed me to differentiate my income a little bit and make sales that I didn't have to actually do the work. (laughs) Totally. And I love that like you started off figuring out that process by providing it as a service. And I even love, I think some people maybe don't talk about this as often is how you made it at a price point. So you can intentionally create that momentum and really nail down what you were doing and how you were delivering results. Undercharging intentionally. Yeah. I can't make money. I was just like, I want people, I want butts and seats. I want testimonials. And that's what really worked for me because Mm. within six months I was the person. And it was six months. It wasn't like you did this for like four and a half years or like some crazy extended period of time. So when did you know, like after working with clients and like kind of progressing through this, like when it was time to maybe I need to turn this into a product and increase my income by having more of a passive income from a course or from a product? I love this question. And I love that. I just, I love talking to like a kindred spirit because I love (laughs) that you're like, figure out your process before you turn it into a product. Like this is the thing people really don't get is like the reason you do services isn't always because you want to do services forever. But if you want to really master something and learn the best way of helping people and develop your own signature process for doing it, which is eventually what you would then package and turn into a course, you Mm -hmm. have to get lots of experience to refine that process. So I will say... It took me, I think the moment I knew it was time to create the product was when I was kind of like, okay, I've established the service. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, 
I have the systems. I have a VA helping me with onboarding clients. I have a process. I'm comfortable in this. Now I need to figure out how to like, what's the next step of it Yeah, is I have to figure out a way to teach this to people. So what I did then is I really paid attention to not only my process of like working with my clients, but my process for doing my part of the work. And I had to be like, okay, what is in a sales page? Like, how am I actually doing this? And then I spent a few months just really documenting my thought process and my research process and my editing process. And then one day I had this aha about every sales page has certain sections on it. And that Mm -hmm. the best way that people learn is through mnemonics. And I was like, I need to come up with like a visual way for people to grasp the sales page thing or else they're going to hate it because everyone hates sales pages. And so I created this 14 part sales page framework and every section has an icon that goes with it. And it starts with a rainbow bridge. (laughs) Now people just like love it. They cannot wait. But it's because like, I was like, "Mm, we need like fun and cartoons and like make this enjoyable. (laughs) Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode was brought to you by my premium program services that sell. If you've been thinking about niching down and creating a four-figure service that you can sell consistently, and if you have been searching for a simple way to sell your services without a complicated funnel, I encourage you to sign up for my free masterclass at jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass. I'll make sure you know everything you need to gain the clarity you crave to confidently sell your services online. Visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass now. So, and I just love that you differentiate it from not just the process of getting the client, the result, but really the process that you internally, like you started documenting how you made decisions and how you thought. So you like you with it. your pop, like you have to come up with these like models, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just teach people things as generalities. You have to come up with some kind of tangible model. I'll never forget that you just told me about your pop process. Like I will never forget that. And same thing with the rainbow of sales. Like people now, like every time they go to sell, they're like, oh, cloud, gold, rainbow. Like that's how I teach sales. So I think it's everyone should be doing this. Everyone should be coming up with some kind of visual or acronym or step-by-step like four part framework or whatever it is. And yeah. that will make a huge difference. And I love your rainbow to sales. Like I keep thinking lucky charms and like the joy that I got from <laughs> childhood and even now adulthood eating them still. So I won't forget that either. That's perfect. And as you're going through entrepreneurship and like, and just through these consistent pivots, like it's, that's what it sounds like I'm hearing from you. Like every probably like six months, it sounds like you're making these pivots in your business Mm -hmm. to continue to progress. What were some of those defining learning curves that you had to overcome? I think that every time you get to like a plateau, you have to make some kind of scary leap Mm -hmm. to get to the next phase. Like it's not, it's not like a smooth, like steady climb up. It's like up plateau, freak out, fall down a little bit, leap plateau. Like it's like this like jagged thing. In the time I didn't realize that's, I can look at that like in retrospect. Totally. But I think in order to get to the next phase, I think I always have to go through a phase of frustration, which I would like to get out of, to be honest. Like, I don't love that. We can all relate to that. <laughs> pattern is I get resentful and frustrated by the way I'm currently doing things. And I always first go into like, 
I'm doing things wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. I must be making some kind of massive mistake. And then eventually I learned that like everybody has been through the same, like every business owner who's been through this phase has been through it in the same way. I just had a conversation yesterday with a friend who has above a million dollar business. And she was telling me like, She's like, yeah, the like 100K to 250 mark is actually, you work the hardest. She's like, it's yeah. the hardest time to be in business. And people glamorize the six-figure business, but really that's where you're doing the most work mm. and you have, and you also have all these expenses at that point. Totally. So it's like the least profit and the most work. And yet everybody thinks you have this like beautiful, amazing, magical business. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> So just learning that you're not alone. And then I always look to, and you know this because we're in the same program moving forward is like, I always look for like, okay, now I need to look for who is doing what that next level looks like to me and who's speaking to me and who has a model. Again, I always look for someone who already has a proven Mm. model for getting to that next level, because then what I want to do is surround myself with people who are doing it because that eliminate so many of your mindset issues, just being around people doing it. You're totally so many things just melt away. Cause you're like, Oh, that's normal. It just normalizes it. That is so true. And that hundred K I'd say like even 300,000 yeah. is a, sh- and that's the hardest one so, uphill battle. <laughs> yeah. Like, are there any specific moments even getting from that five figure to that six figure mark that that was kind of defining for you at that phase, looking back in retrospect? Yeah. The one that comes to mind is realizing I was the bottleneck and this was Mm. two years ago. This would have been in 2000, what year is it? 16. And I realized I needed to bring in a right-hand woman. Like I needed, I'm the creative and the visionary and I needed the like operations, some call it integrator. Like I needed that role to be taken care of. And that, it sounds like it's like a different thing. But what I realized was I couldn't go farther. Like I was hitting my head up against a ceiling Mm -hmm. and I kept being like, I need more productivity hacks. I need to like organize myself better. I need to like have a better morning routine. Really. I just, I needed to increase that bandwidth of my entire business. And that was so scary because when I'm talking about these leaps, it often comes with like a big investment, right? Yeah. And bringing someone onto my team that I was paying more than $2,000 a month was like really (laughs) scary. Totally. Yeah. And so that to me was the moment where it's always when you make those big investments for me, they're like the markers of when everything changes, because again, it's like surrounding yourself with people doing it. Suddenly your psychology just like reorganizes itself to me. Yeah. Like, it's just like, we have to do all this. Like, you can try to prepare yourself in advance, but you'll work like a hundred times harder than if you just like make the investment and then your brain just snaps into formation. Like it's just yeah. like, okay. <laughs> I love that you said that. Cause that was a problem that I've had trying to solve problems that are too far ahead of where like, I'm at by yourself in advance. Yeah. And it's like, it's way more chaotic and yeah. much like more just detrimental process. So thanks for sharing. That's one that a lot of us can relate to. I know I totally can. But as you're going through these, like these up battles of the learning curves, like how have you been able to leverage these learning curves, I think, to earn more profit in your business? Mm -hmm. I know they suck going through, but usually there's a positive (laughs) on the other end once you make it through. Like, have you noticed any particular like obstacles you've overcome in regards to that learning curve through the stages that really took some time, but eventually panned out? Is there a story or an experience you could share with us about that? Wow. About up-leveling. And yeah, I mean, I think that when I look at the key moment, I keep going back to hiring my business manager, honestly, Mm -hmm. because 
that was literally the scariest investment I had ever made because up until then I'd made investments for like coaching or mentoring or masterminds, but that was like my own personal development. And it had like an end point. I think what happens is we tell ourselves these stories about like what is reality and what is possible. And anytime that you're coming up with like, this isn't possible or that can't happen, it's a limit of your own psyche. And I think for Mm -hmm. me was, I can't pay someone $2,000 a month. And then what happens for me is like in that moment, I have to, it has to become painful enough in the moment that I realize like, it's actually scarier to keep doing what I'm doing than to hire the person. And so I had to basically have like a mental breakdown, to be honest, and that's what I'm trying to like make the decisions before the mental breakdown. Right. <laughs> my, new, <laughs> my new goal. Lesson learned. No, but I, mean, I haven't gotten there yet because I had one this summer. Like, and then I was like, okay, it's time to like, I'm not over this yet. This is my pattern, but I can recognize when it's happening. I'm like, oh, this is the breakdown. Uh, now I know like if I keep going this way, it's just downhill. I have to make a leap up. And for my business manager represented was handing a vast amount of responsibility in my business to somebody else. It wasn't just like tasks. It was handing responsibilities, strategy, management. And while that's super exciting and it's amazing at the time, it was like, how do I trust this person? And how do I know if I'm able to pay them? And what if all these terrible things happen? And I just had to not even trust, but just be like, well, I have to do it. Like, Totally. And I don't know for sure. And I think that would be the biggest leveraging fear that then like now I've been working with my business manager for two years. So, and it's been fine. I've never not paid her. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I totally can relate to the growing pains really don't stop because you're continuously growing in your business, but you get better at learning how to manage them as you're going through it. Even if you still have the mental breakdown, you know how to bounce back. You recognize you're like, oh, this is just part of my... Yeah. curve, right? Like I'm just at that point in the curve now. Yeah. You can kind of take like a bird's eye view versus like being in it. Yeah. So how do you manage that inner voice and that inner critic while you're maybe going through some of these seasons? And how are you really supporting yourself and keeping yourself centered as you're leveling up in your business? Yeah. Oh, it's a really good question. (laughs) And something I honestly, like, I don't think anyone does perfectly. I think it's so hard in the earlier stages because You have so little evidence going for yourself and that's okay. Like I started my business when I was 22 or 23 or whenever I happened to start a business, I don't even know. And I had literally no relevant experience. I have a French degree and no real job experience. So there were a lot of limiting beliefs. And I think it was just like, what's the next thing I need to do? Like, I need to get a paying client. So I need to charge money for something. I'm not going to worry about charging the highest rates or the best rates. I was just like, I just need the obstacle right now. I think it's about identifying the obstacle. The obstacle right now at that point is I'm scared to charge people money for me to do something for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I just need to get over that hump. So it was just about like charging $15 an hour for tutoring, which I eventually worked up into like $40, $50 an hour. And then it didn't even bother me when people were like, oh, it's too expensive because I knew it was worth it by that point. But I couldn't like come out of the gate being like 50 bucks an hour when the most I'd ever made in my life was $8 an hour. Like that was like, (laughs) it would have been too inconsistent for me. And the cognitive dissonance would have caused me to self-sabotage. So I think it's about finding that like next thing you can do that stretches you out of your comfort zone, but does not make you like freak the F out. Yeah. 
I think that's kind of like, it should make you scared, but it's like finding that like, Ooh, this scares me. And I'm nervous. That's making me focus. And like, I'm a little nervous and I might not sleep that well at night, but I'm not like, Holy crap. This isn't even possible. Like, yeah. It's about like finding the opening. Like where's the opening where you can kind of like, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I know when it comes to like just taking care of yourself and how you keep yourself centered, maybe even outside of business, I heard that you are like a Netflix and chill junkie. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I am too. Like, is that part of... Okay, what's your favorite show? (laughs) Right now? I'm actually, we're watching something on Amazon Prime. So kind of cheating on Netflix a little bit. Ooh, (laughs) wow. But it's Downton's... Hold on. What's the name of that show? Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey. Oh, I think it's on on Netflix in Canada. I'm in Canada. We have different things. we don't have... Oh, and it's great. I love Downton. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been Um, doing lately. Yes. So good. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying about uh, Netflix and Phil. (laughs) I know that's something that you do that you enjoy doing and like the fact that you can have a business that allows you to Netflix and chill and not feel guilty about it. Like, is there anything else that you do to just kind of pour back into you or that you like doing because you have the freedom to do it? That's such a good point because the Netflix and chilling is like a double-edged sword. So it's like a glass of wine, right? Like I love wine, but like I have to know when it's like, oh, I'm treating myself and when it's like, oh, I'm avoiding life. So Netflix for me, I'm pretty good about now. Like, it's not even about like, I cannot give myself exact, like you can only watch one show because I'm a rebel. So if I give myself some kind of like only 30 minutes, I'll be like, watch me watch 35 minutes. Huh? Like I can't even do, I can't even give myself rules. So it's more about the feeling I get when it's like, I really just need to relax right now. And I'll let myself do that. And then when it's like, okay, now I'm starting to stress out because things aren't getting done. Then I know that, okay, this isn't serving me anymore. I need to like go look at my to-do list. So sometimes for me personally, because I'm an avoider and a rebel, some of the best things I do to like fill my cup are just like keeping an eye on my to-do list and like not letting it go so long that I'm avoiding it that then I'm overwhelmed because I don't even remember what I needed to get done. which is a pattern for me in the past of self-sabotage. So it's like, okay, I need to make sure I know the three things I need to get done today. I need to look at Asana, which is what we use for all of our project management every day. I actually have a task in Asana for me to check Asana, which is kind of (laughs) ironic. (laughs) You can still check that off though. But I do like, that's like, okay, I did that. And otherwise I would say the things I do that really fill my cup are exercise, which again, I don't give myself hard and fast rules about, but I go to a class twice a week. I go to a gym where like, if I don't show up all the time, they like email me and they're like, are you okay? So that helps because otherwise I wouldn't go. I just started CrossFit this week. They will do the same thing. They're on the bottom floor of my building. So if I walk the dog and you haven't been, they will totally like, they'll come outside and where have you been? What's going on? Why haven't you been in yet? You literally cannot escape. Unless <laughs> no. you don't leave your apartment. Yeah. So stuff like that. And then, I mean, I'm pretty good about like the bubble baths and the stuff like that. I'm pretty good about that stuff. So I think for me, like I'm almost the opposite of a lot of people where my self-care is more about like making sure I like actually do the dishes and like take care of things because I can tend to be a little bit too much of like a pleasure seeker. And I'm like, I need a bath and Netflix and a bottle of wine and a massage. Like I'm pretty good about that. I'm not as good about being like, you know what right now, self-care for me is answering my emails. So it's kind of a weird answer, but it's an honest one. But yeah. I think the common thread that I'm hearing in that is that you do a really good job of just like listening to like what that inner voice is telling you yeah. and just yeah. honoring that in the moment. 
Totally. Which I think a lot of us, you know, or I think we can get into the habit where we can hear what our body is telling us that we need. And we logically will then try to overcompensate or avoid it rather than mm-hmm. just pausing and honoring what's going on and just absolutely. giving ourselves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I love that. And I know that you do sales pages and that you do copy, but you also teach other people how to create their signature service. Is there anything else in your service suite that you offer that maybe we haven't talked about yet, just so people can get to know about just all the things that you have to offer? Yeah. So that's pretty accurate. I would say like, I always think of it as there's really two kind of arms or pillars to my business. So the first one is yay for clients. So that's really where I work with people who are trying to make a full-time income from their, their businesses. I like to work with people who have already kind of been trying to go at the business thing for a while, Mm kind of like where I was at, where I couldn't get past the $2,000 mark. So my goal there is to get people at a consistent two to $5,000 a month, creating a signature service and getting known for something. And then the other side of things is my copywriting stuff. So I have the sales page kit and the launch copy kit. So when people are launching even services, right? Like doing promotions for services or their services page or whatever, or courses, I have kits for people like really plug and play guides, like to help you build the copy for those things, because I know that they're really overwhelming for people. So they're basically like the launch copy kit is really like Mad Libs for everything you have to create in your launch, (laughs) like your sales emails and your pitch and your live broadcasts. And it's all just like, here's how you pick a topic. Here's how you write the topic name. Here's how you outline that, like plug in this, like (laughs) that the sales page kit is really like from scratch. How do you clarify your offer and like get all gather all the information you need for your sales page and how do you outline it and how do you make sure all the right information's on there all the way down to like the writing and like language things people yeah. get really fixated on like how do I pick the right words and like your offer isn't packaged yet we'll get to the words <laughs> when like your offer is clear solid, yeah yeah because the words are so not that important like it's just frosting really it's, it needs, where's the cake though yeah like the cake has to be good yeah right? Totally. And I love that. So those are the two sides of my business. Yeah. Okay. And you being the rebel that you are, like, is there something that you believe that's super true about being in the service-based world and being able to leverage your core offer and get beyond six figures that almost no one else agrees on? You want (laughs) to share with us and just like take your stance? Yeah. Oh my God. I I love an opportunity to get on a soapbox. It's all I here. am so adamant that if you are not making consistent money from your business and consistent, I consistent is the wrong word. Sometimes average, I think people get into business and they're like, I need to make X every single month. I'm like, that probably isn't going to happen. But yeah. look at your quarters. I think like looking at three months at a time and kind of averaging that out. Like if you want to make three K a month, like let's look at making sure that you have nine K every quarter. And then that's averaging out. You're going to have to learn how to manage your money every month mm. because it's not going to be the same every single month. And you don't want it to be. That's okay. You can learn how to like manage for those things. But I would say like you need to do a service before you launch a product. And Mm. it drives me insane when I see people like, I want to launch an e-course. And I'm like, okay, you need an audience. You need expertise. You need a proven system. You need a learning curve on all this technology. You need like, you are not there yet. I'm not saying you can't do it like even a year from now, but you need to work with people one-on-one because if you can't get people a result one-on-one, how do you expect to get people a result one to many? Like it's not going to happen. So that's my big like preachy thing is start with services, start with just freelancing. If you are brand spanking new, like just like 
if you don't even know what you want to do and you're like, I've never done anything before, just try some things out. But then your next step is like pick a niche and create a signature offer around that because that's the only way you're going to get, like you said to like get past that 2K a month mark. You can't just be like throwing things at the wall. Yeah, totally. And I can see like your vision board. It looks like that's behind you. (laughs) What is something that you're really like looking forward to? There's like a girl sitting in bed eating. Like that's what's on my vision board is like a girl with like a hot pink book. And she's just smiling and like eating something. <laughs> That's my dream. <laughs> I'm not mad at that. But yeah, is there anything you- And want? Oprah. <laughs> um, Oprah's on my vision board as well. Like yeah. anything else on there that's like super, well, the fact that you have a, a girl sitting on there just eating. Yeah. I'm all about joy. So a lot of it on the bottom for me is like apartment stuff because I was like really focused on like my environment. But a lot of it on the top is about and I didn't do this on purpose, but it just happened that way because those are the magazines that I found. <laughs> it's more about like enjoyment. So there's just mm. like cute lawn chairs out and some grass and there's like people like hosting a cocktail party and a bike outside. For me, it's all about the joy. So like if I'm not enjoying my life and laughing is a big, obviously I probably have cackled a lot during this interview. If I'm not like laughing and having fun and making jokes, like it's all pointless. Totally. So it's just like, you know, the things that I just like space and fun and people and champagne. (laughs) in bed. (laughs) I love all the things. So kind of to wrap this up, what would you do in the event of a zombie apocalypse? Okay. What I learned from my roommate in Paris. So he was really prepared for the zombie (laughs) apocalypse and he would drive us to the grocery store. He's great. He's the greatest human ever. He would drive us to the grocery store and he would always back into the spot because he said in the case of a zombie apocalypse, we need to be able to zoom out like really fast. We can't be like backing out of the parking spot. So first of all, I would be really worried because I don't have a car. Like I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to zoom out of my... I feel like when I watch Game of Thrones and my thought, this is like, I'm not proud of this, but my thought is always like, I just want to be one of the people who's like not involved. Like I just want to be like (laughs) on the side. Like I was like, I want to be like Khaleesi or like, I want to be like the one killing everyone. I'm like, no, I just want to be the one like in the village hiding in a cave somewhere (laughs) with treats and snacks. Like that's all. And hopefully Netflix, but if not, I can entertain myself. Like it's fine (laughs) if we lose the internet, but like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not, <laughs> not going to be whooping anyone. I'm going to be like, I'm good at hide and seek though. I'm great at hide and seek. So I feel like I'd be good at hiding. I love that answer. <laughs> but so for our listeners who want to learn more about you and to want to get more access to all the amazing work that you're doing, where can we find you? And I'm not sure if you already sent this over, but if there's a freebie or anything like that, you like to share with our audience. Yeah. You can find me at rulebreakersclub.com. Uh, no, the, I'm like Facebook. No, the, everyone's like the Rule Breakers Club. I'm like, no, I'm like Facebook. Drop the the. <laughs> <laughs> Rulebreakersclub.com. And from there, like, I would say you can find like all of the resources that I have. So I've got like free tools and classes and depending on what the thing is that you need. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Courtney Johnston. That might be a, like a second from my website, probably the best place to go to like find the videos that speak to the topics that you need help with. So I've got a ton of videos. Yeah, your videos are awesome. I love your YouTube Thank videos. Thank you. I people in my audience watch your YouTube videos. Aw, yeah. <laughs> I love um, you guys. Yeah, so thank you so much. This was such a great interview. Hey, Hawk Hustler. 
Thanks for listening in today. If you are ready to turn your side hustle selling services into a profitable online consulting business, visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass. Within just one hour of this free masterclass, yes, free 99, you will have a proven framework to convert more clients consistently. Visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass and I will see you there.